Hey, good morning. Welcome. Uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 today. That's page 984 in your pew Bibles, uh, which should be right in front of you. If you do not have a Bible, you cannot take that one because uh, they're not ours. But we do have some Bibles on the table as you walk out that you can take. We would love for you to have a Bible so that you can follow along and you can study Scripture on your own and you can also make sure that I'm not making things up on Sunday mornings. But we're in Colossians 3 today. There's a lot of stuff in here, and so I'm going to jump in pretty quickly. I'm already known around here as the, one, the pastor who preaches longer than everybody else, so I don't want to spend too much time going through this, so we're going to jump straight in here. We're continuing our series, Transformed, uh, and we discussed how the risen Christ, so after Easter, we're talking about how the risen Christ transforms our identity. That was number, the first week. And because of what God has done for us in Jesus, we're, we get a transformed morality, which is what we talked about last week. And with our transformed morality, we obey God out of gratitude, not to earn God's love, but because Jesus has earned God's love and approval for us. So that it gives us a different way, understanding of why we obey is because of what Jesus has done for us. But now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're called to have transformed desires. So not only what we do, but what we want to do. Those are supposed to be transformed as well. So the risen Jesus transforms our desires as we seek to live lives consistent with what is already ours in him. So let me say that again. The risen Jesus, the risen Christ, transforms our desires as we seek to live lives consistent with what is already ours in him. So in order for that to happen, we have to think, act, and submit, is what Colossians 3 says. Think, act, and submit. So first, think. We have to think. Look at Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The first step to transform desires, transforming what we want to do, is to transform our thinking. This is not a plug for Noom, the diet app Noom, but if you saw the Noom diet app commercials on TV or on YouTube, they get at this. They understand this. Noom understands that not only do they need to teach you what to eat and what not to eat, but they also need to have you understand and think differently about food. So if you're like me, growing up was so attached, food was so attached to emotion, right? Had a bad day? Let's get some ice cream. Had a great day? Let's get some ice cream. Emotion and food were attached, and Noom understands that. So if I'm, not, if I'm going to eat less ice cream, I need to realize that I attach so much emotion to eating ice cream. Now, as I've gotten older, dairy doesn't agree with me in the same way it used to, so there's another reason why not to eat ice cream. But I have to think differently about food. If you're going to have transformed desires, have a life that's consistent 
with the life you have in Christ, you need to think differently. Teenagers, young people, I, I don't know if you under, realize this, but according to Scripture, there's two ages. There's two time periods. There's the present age, which is under the control and power of, of Satan, and then there's the new age, one that's been ushered in by the death and resurrection of Jesus. So the new age, or the Bible also talks about it as new creation, has begun. And because of this pre, this present age is passing away, our desires can be transformed. That the present age is passing away because the new age has been ushered in by Jesus, and now our, trans, our desires can be transformed. So 1 Corinthians 7, 1 says it this way, for the present form of this world is what? Passing away. So it's not just in the future, See, I think sometimes we, those of us who've grown up in the church, we only think about new age, the new creation, the Jesus, God's kingdom is something that's strictly in the future. But the Bible doesn't talk about it that way. The Bible talks about it as already and not yet. It's something that has started to happen, but one day will become completely true. But it's already true. The new age is already here because Jesus has ushered it in with his death and resurrection. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Strictly speaking in the Greek, it, that can be translated, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. There's this cosmos, cosmic change that has happened in Jesus. That new creation has begun. So with the death and resurrection of Jesus, the present age has begun to pass away and the new age has come in and one day God will bring a completion at Jesus' return. And so those of us who put our faith in Jesus, we have already begun to live as people of the new age. And the Bible makes this clear that what happens is it actually puts us in opposition in contrast to the present age and its desires. So Paul says we're to seek the things that are above. We're supposed to set our minds on things that are above. Seek and set on things that are above. So when it comes to our desires, when it comes to my desires and your desires, we must think as people who have already been, become part of the new age. As people who have been transformed. Part of this challenge is a challenge of your mind. It's you need to think differently. That you are already part of the new age. And part of this is you have first, you have to realize what is yours in Christ already. You have to realize that what is true of Jesus is also true of you, the Bible says. What Colossians says. So Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ. Notice Paul says, if you have been. You already have been raised with Christ. And you're already living as, a new, as people part of the new age. So if you look at places like Ephesians 1, for instance, Paul says you've already received spiritual blessings in Christ. It's not that I'm looking for blessings. I'm looking for God to bless me more. The Bible says you've already have received spiritual blessings in Christ. And because you're in Christ, Ephesians 1 says that you are, what is His is yours. What is Christ is yours. 
So Ephesians 1 says that you've been adopted. You've received redemption. You received forgiveness. You received an inheritance. You received the Holy Spirit. This is all yours already. Ready. So because of that second, you can't settle for the things of the present age. Your focus has to be on, not on what this present age offers you, but what is already yours in Christ. Too many of us set, settle for the things of the present age when the ones of the new age are far better. See, if you knew that there was a gourmet meal waiting for you at home when you got there after work, you wouldn't settle for McDonald's on the way home. Sure, you have to wait. And sure, you're going to have to wait for all these things to be completely true in Christ. And you can't see it, Paul says, because it's hidden in Christ. It's yours, but it's safely tucked away with Jesus, which is really comforting. But one day, God will make it plain to everyone at the return of Christ, his appearance, which is a cool way Paul talks about it here in Colossians 3, 4, is that Christ will appear one day. So we have to think, but we also have to act. Look at verse 5. We'll read all the way to verse 10. Put to death, therefore, what is, your, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put away them all. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. See, the second step to, to transform this is to transform the way you act. In college, I worked overnights at UPS as a sword. And what a sorter does is when the boxes come off the trucks, they put them on this conveyor belt, and you're supposed to grab the boxes from the conveyor belt, look quickly at the zip code, and then gently place them in a chute for that zip code. And you have to move, like, pretty quick. And the first, like, two to three weeks, like, every day I woke up sore from gently placing boxes on a chute. But as time went on, I got used to the habitual nature of the schedule and the physical labor that I wasn't so sluggish anymore for my new sleep schedule. And I started to see physical benefits of it, of moving heavy boxes and gently placing them on chutes. And I became pretty fast at it. Came pretty fast at throwing boxes. I'll be honest, UPS is throwing your boxes around. See, Paul doesn't say that once you've received a transformed identity, transformed desires are going to happen overnight. But he says you're going to start to see over time the changes in you. And it even might be painful. You might even wake up sore every day. See, even though our identity may have been transformed and we are people of the new age, it still is a battle. Because Jesus hasn't come in victory yet and destroyed Satan. 
and thrown him into the lake of fire. See, sin will still be a struggle, but the Holy Spirit will be doing the work of sanctification, which is just a way of saying, making us more like Jesus. So while we may not be able to be completely free from sin, it no longer has power over you. And over time, we'll see ourselves becoming more and more like Jesus. And as we put to death and put off earthly things, which is the old self of the present age, we'll begin to put on the new self of the new age. And Paul says that we're supposed to put to death and we're supposed to put off two specific categories. First, he talks about sex. It says the first desires we're supposed to put to death are sexual ones. See, the Bible makes it clear that sex is a gift from God and it's designed to be done within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. And we're to use that gift but not abuse it. And the ways we abuse it, Paul says here, are sexual immorality, which simply means sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. But impurity, passion, which is lustful passion, evil desire. And it's interesting, you might be like, why does he say covetedness? In the context, it would mean that it's sexual greed, sexual covetedness. It means wanting more than what God has given you. So if God has given you a spouse, or if he hasn't, you don't go outside of that to get fulfillment. You only find sexual fulfillment in what God has given you. So for some of us, that's celibacy. For some of us, that's intimacy with our spouse. So when you go outside, you go outside of that, you have things like adultery or pornography or sleeping around. And we're to use the gift of sex inside the confines of marriage. So the Bible, the thing is, when you hear culturally or this kind of idea that the Bible has this low view of sex, but in fact the Bible has a high view of sex. So it sets parameters for how it should be used. See, the American Football Coaches Association, what they do every year to the national champion, they give them a crystal football. You know how much that crystal football is worth? $30,000. Your college money really going to work there. And it's a beautiful football, and I imagine it's very delicate, right? Crystal tends to be delicate, but I can't tell you how many times I've seen them hand them the football and I go, I wonder what it would be like to throw that thing around. But of course, that would be an abuse of the trophy. It would devalue $30,000 for me to take that football, go in my backyard and throw it around with my son. It would cheapen it. That kind of football is not for the backyard tossing the pig skin around or the crystal skin around. It's to be put on a shelf or in a trophy case. See, when we go outside of the confines of marriage for sexual fulfillment, we abuse God's gift and revealing we actually have a low view of sex because we devalue it, we cheapen it. So when we look at sexually explicit material online or we withhold sex from our spouse to teach them a lesson or we sleep with our girlfriend or boyfriend or we sleep with someone of the same sex, We abuse God's gift and we cheapen it. 
It's supposed to be in a trophy case, not to be tossed around in the backyard. Do you see the value versus devaluing it? Paul is saying, though, put those desires to death. He says, don't mess around. Don't mess around going outside the confines of marriage for sex. Don't mess around. Don't think, well, I'll do it every once in a while. No big deal. I got it under control. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? It's all right. No one will ever know. It's between you and that person in your bedroom. Don't worry about it. You're not hurting anyone. No, he says, kill it. Turn off your phone at night. Delete that app. Don't be alone at night with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Remove that person's number from your phone. Paul is saying, put your hands around the neck of that desire and squeeze it until it breathes its last breath. Don't mess around with it. God tells us to get in the habit of killing those desires. Not because he doesn't want you to have fun. He wants you to use it. But he wants you to use it without devaluing it and cheapening it. But what's interesting here is that the Bible sees destructive speech as equally problematic as sexual sin. See, I think like if you're kind of like more like red state kind of person, you're like sexual sin, all right, finally somebody says something about that. And blue state, you're probably like, you know what? Like, Evan, come on, man, relax. Well, we don't get out of this one. Destructive speech. Doesn't matter, red state or blue state. Like teenagers, you may have ever seen like America runs on Duncan. I'm pretty sure America doesn't run on Duncan right now. I'm pretty sure we run on outrage. I'm pretty sure. So when you look at pro-abortion protests, or you look at school board meetings, or late night cable news, or political podcasters, you see destructive speech Time and time again, we have a steady diet of anger, malice, wrath, slander, and obscene talk. Proverbs 29.11 says this, A fool gives vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Constantly giving ear to angry voices will disciple you. In foolishness. There are angry voices right now that have you believing and discipling you in believing that people who look differently than you, act differently than you, believe differently than you, and especially vote differently than you, they're what's wrong with this country. They're what's wrong with our city, they're what's wrong with our world, so we got to get rid of them. We got to shut them out and shut them down. And if you're allowing those desires to take control of you out there, you will bring them in here. You'll see the people who are supposedly wrong for this country, who are supposedly wrong for this world, and then you'll think, they're wrong for my church. So I can't go to church with Democrats because they're baby killers. Or I can't go to church with Republicans because they're racists. Like, come on, guys, I know the conversations that happen. 
Or how about this one? I can't go to a church that talks about justice. That's what woke liberals talk about. I can't go to church with somebody who's woke. <laughs> Disgusting. Then what's wrong with this country? I heard about it on my podcast. Or I can't go to a church that preaches a more traditional sexual ethic because they're bigots, closed-minded, exclusivists. And I was told at college, don't associate with those people. I love Philippians 4, 5. It says this, let your reasonableness be known to who? Everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Christians, followers of Jesus, people of the new age are supposed to be known for being what? Reasonable. Reasonable. But outrage makes you unreasonable. And then we give in to destructive speech about each other. So what does Paul do to counter that? He reminds us this in verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. The Bible is so concerned that we'll see where we're all different and we'll make those differences central rather than our shared identity in Christ, who is all and in all as central. And our destructive speech will destroy the unity we have in him. Because like sex, my brother and sister in Christ, although they might be different than me in all kinds of ways, is a gift to me. And my relationship with them is to be used, not abused. Because sexual sin and destructive speech are built on this lie. And it's the lie of consumerism. It's that happiness comes from stuff. So I need to get as much stuff as I can and remove all the obstacles I can to get stuff before I die. So people become stuff to add or remove for the sake of getting more stuff. So I consume sex by, treat, by treating someone on a screen as a commodity for me to consume, as stuff. Or I consume anger by listening to people who make money off my outrage. And then I give vent to my anger in a way that I talk about problem people and try to remove them from my life so all the obstacles are removed so I can get what I want. And I always think about this with like these people who are just outraged all the time. Like what would they do if they got the world they wanted? They'd be out of jobs. You would stop listening to them. Be like, we have the world you want. Like we're not listening to you anymore. Don't you, think, don't you see the manipulation of that? And consumerism, treating people as stuff, is ultimately selfish because what it does, it hurts others, and that might be obvious, but it hurts us as well. Because what happens is it makes you entitled to stuff. I'm entitled. I'm supposed to have stuff. I have to have sex with whoever I want, whenever I want, because I need to consume stuff. And I would, should be allowed to say whatever I want to whoever I want, because I have to remove anybody who's going to 
keep me from getting more stuff and getting the world that I want. And what happens is it paralyzes you. So then what happens is when you don't have a sexual partner or potential for one, you feel worthless. And the world tells you that you are. Unless you're sleeping with someone, you're worthless. Because you're not able to consume what you're supposed to be consuming. Or you have angry voices giving you a new thing every day to be angry about. And then you can't remember, what am I supposed to be angry about today? And that paralyzes you. I was supposed to be angry about yesterday, now I'm supposed to be angry about something else, and then tomorrow I'll be angry about something else too. We tease about this all the time around here. It's like every election is the most important election in your lifetime until the next one, and we're all supposed to be angry about that. Instead, people of the new age are supposed to act differently. So look what Paul says in Colossians 3.12. He says, put on then. So put off these things, sexual sin, destructive speech, and put on as God's chosen ones. Remember, he's telling us who we are, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Forgiveness is not an option for the Christian. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. See, people of the new age don't consume, but they contend. They contend for God's new age. They say, I want the, our world to look like this. I want my country to look like this. I want my church to look like this. And I'm going to contend for it, and I'm going to fight for it, and I'm going to work for it. And I contend for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's not selfish, it's selfless. And the Bible says the more selfless you are, the freer you will be. And you'll have a better world, country, city, and your church when you stop treating people as stuff to consume or to remove so you can consume more, but as gifts to contend for. And if you just took those two lists and you said, if my house was defined by these things, which house would I want to live in? And yet so many of us settle for the house that we're supposed to be putting off. So lastly, so think, act, and lastly, we're supposed to submit. Look at verse 3, oh sorry, chapter 3, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were, indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. The last step to transforming your desires is to submit to Christ's rule over your life. Paul says two times, let. Two times Paul says let, which is submission. He says, submit to the peace of Christ. See, in Jesus' death and resurrection, Christ offers us peace with God. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, your sins are forgiven and you have peace with God. But Ephesians 2.14 says you also have peace with others. So submit to the peace of Christ. And he also says submit to the word of Christ. And we submit to him as our king and we submit to his commands. And so his word now dwells in us. And because what is true of him is true of us, when we speak to each other, 
we speak as if we were Christ speaking to each other. Sometimes when I sit down with somebody and they say, they start beating themselves up and they start talking about, oh, I'm a sinner, I messed up, I'm an idiot, I can't believe I did that, I say, whoa, 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 whoa. Would Jesus talk to you that way? If you're like me, I beat myself up more than anybody does. And sometimes I have to say to myself, whoa, 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 Evan, would Jesus talk to you that way? Is that the word of Christ dwelling in you, ruling over you? And so we're supposed to speak to each other the way Christ would speak to us encouraging each other one-on-one, but also, notice this, when we gather for worship and we sing, we remind each other of the new age life we have in Christ through song. See, have you ever thought about that? When you, we sing and when we respond in the responsive readings of the Psalms, what I'm actually doing is reminding you of the truth and you're reminding me of the truth. You're reminding me of a life of a new age that's different where God's in control and God is sovereign and that Jesus will come again and I'm reminding you of that. And so we encourage each other to do that in that way, but we also encourage each other to praise God, the God who rescued us and transforms our desires. And so Paul says, he ends in verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So every desire comes under the sovereign rule of Jesus. So that everything I think, every action I take is done in his name. And I submit to his rule. And when we submit to his rule, we don't do so begrudgingly. We don't do it with our arms twisted. He doesn't twist our arms to do it. But with thankful hearts, we submit to him, thanking God for what he's done for us in Christ and every step of the way. So when it comes to your desires, I encourage you to think in a transformed way. Start thinking of yourself as someone who's part of the new age and that what is Christ's is also yours. And that will start to change your desires, won't it? If you start thinking differently about who you are, And then allow that change to change your actions so that you put away these desires of consumerism that hurt you and others. See, some of us need to get an accountability partner. Straight up, you need an accountability partner. You need to take your hands around the neck of sexual sin and start squeezing it until it can't breathe anymore. Don't think you can handle it on your own. Have somebody else lift up your arms around the neck. Some of us need software on our laptops or we need apps on our phone to keep us accountable. Some of us need to cut the outrage. Some of you need to turn off late night news. It's not good for you. You're being discipled in foolishness. Or political podcasts. You need to unsubscribe. It's really easy, guys, honestly. Just hit unsubscribe and they won't download on your phone anymore. But it takes courage to do it takes courage to contend and some of us need to ask forgiveness from others for treating them as stuff some of you might be thinking of someone right now you need to text or call and say hey I'm sorry the way I treated you I treated you as stuff and you're more than that and in doing so we begin to see the things of the new age 
And we'll all grow in thankfully submitting to our desires of Christ that will only come when we understand what he's done for us and that his sovereign rule is already a reality. And because we all need to grow in this, submission will first look like repentance, confessing our sins and receiving forgiveness, which we'll do in a moment. And when we do these things, we'll begin to see the Holy Spirit transform our desires Helping, us, helping you to live lives consistent, helping me to live a life consistent with who we are in Christ as people of the new age and what's already ours in him.